Hi, I'm Shelley Cameron, CEO of the City of Philadelphia's Division of Aviation, and you're listening to Taking Off with Shelley Cameron, where I take you behind the scenes of Philadelphia International Airport and the Northeast Philadelphia Airport. From cultural programs to improvement projects, traveler experience initiatives to aviation experts, and even some local heroes, Taking Off is a rare glimpse inside one of the busiest airports in the United States. Today's episode is very special. I'm here with World War II hero, Dr. Eugene Richardson, an original member of the elite Tuskegee Airmen. For those of you unfamiliar with the legacy of the Tuskegee Airmen, they were the first African-American military aviators in the United States Armed Forces. The success of the Tuskegee Airmen showed the American public that African-Americans would be effective military leaders and pilots. Their performance led to President Truman's desegregation of the military in 1948 and helped pave the way for future African-American pilots in the Air Force. Today, the Tuskegee Airmen are respected and admired for their bravery and service in the face of adversity. Dr. Richardson, it's a true honor. Thank you. Well, thank you, Shelley. It's a honor that you've invited me to join you. Thank you ever so much. Oh, sir, I can't even express what a privilege it is to have you speak to our listeners today. Thank you, Shelley. Could you talk to me about how the Tuskegee Airmen came to be? Yeah, sure. I'd like to tell you about the very first African-American combat pilot. Okay. A man by the name of Eugene Jacques Bullard. So another Eugene. Yes, another Eugene. That's a great name. Good Gene. Eugene. It's my Good dad's name, Gene. too, sir. So. Your dad's name? Uh-huh. Okay. Hey, right on. Okay. <laughs> well, Bullard's father was abandoned, and a French girl found him. Wow. And he was raised in French island of Martinique. Bullard's father had learned, I guess, from the people that raised him, that there's a country across the ocean called France. Yes. Where black men were treated more as the same as white men. And young Bullard often thought about going, getting to France, because things were pretty rough around in Georgia, around Columbus, Georgia. So Bullard ran away from home. He's about like age ten when he ran away from home. Ten years old. Age ten. Wow. Now let me ask you this: for a black kid about age ten, how much formal education could he acquire by the age of ten? Uh, but not much. Not much. Well, Bullard ran away from home, and he, he knew that France was. Across the ocean, he didn't know exactly where it was, but you know it's across the ocean, huh. and the ocean was east. So he always headed where the sun came up each morning because he knew that was east. And he eventually got to uh, after a couple several years of doing all kinds of things, living with gypsies, odd job, working odd jobs, uh, working as a, a horse jockey, a racing jockey, and he eventually gets to Newport News, Virginia, and he stowed away on a German ship. Wow. And that's how he got. how he got to Europe. Wow. They put him off the ship in Scotland. He worked. He worked in the circus in Scotland, a circus performer, a boxer, and he got a mat, boxing match in France, which is how he got the how he got to Paris. He got this boxing match over there, and uh, the war World War One was starting, mm-hmm. and he learned that all good Frenchmen uh, volunteer for the military. So he volunteered for the military, got into the, you know, France had the French Foreign Legion. They took guys from all over. So they had no problem with an African-American. They didn't have slavery. They didn't have the the races that existed in America. 
So Bullard was able to get into the French Foreign Legion. He became a gunner in the French in his French uh, French army. He was wounded in the Battle of Verdun. He was wounded. Wow. And while he was in the hospital, he learned that they had gunners in the back seats of airplanes. He realized, well, he wouldn't be able to do much on, on the ground with his wounds. He applied for and was accepted as a gunner on an airplane. Uh-huh. And then he re- learned that uh, he could be, he could uh, learn to be a pilot. So Bullard become, becomes a pilot. So he becomes the first African-American combat pilot. Wow. Flying for the French in World War I, 1917. Wow. Now, here in this country, with the result of slavery and the racism, they had the notion that blacks didn't have the intelligence or the, or the aptitude to be, to be pirates. Actually, they had difficulty even having blacks in the military at all. Right. A great deal of effort with Eleanor Roosevelt and others to try to get a representative number of blacks into the military, let alone uh, be pirates. But there's one young man, uh, a guy named Benjamin Davis. It just happens that there's a picture of Ben Davis here in the airport sit, standing beside a P-47. His father was a Buffalo soldier. His father had paid, I think, $5 to get an airplane ride at Bowling Field. Hmm. And Davis became very fascinated with flying. He wanted to become a pilot. I was stationed at Bowling Air were? Force Base. I was. Yeah, well, that's where he got his I first was. airplane that's ride. That's amazing. I think a good right friend of mine River. lives there now, Benj- uh, Lieutenant General Stacy Harris. I think she lives at Bowling. I think so. Right on the Potomac River, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Uh huh. In 1925, the Army War College at Carlisle Barracks put out a, a, a supposedly a report, supposedly the result of a study, and every negative that you can think of that you would apply to a person is in that report being applied to black men. And Davis was, how in the world can I get to be a pilot? And that's what they think of me as a man of color. But Davis was a very, very bright guy. He was an honor student in his high school. If he could get through West Point, there'd be no way they could say that he didn't, he didn't have it. So in 1932, Benjamin Davis Jr. gets into West Point, but he's the only black cadet there, and they tried to force him to quit. Well, Davis was determined and uh, to be a West Point graduate, they wouldn't even let me have a roommate. No kidding. Davis was not permitted to have a roommate for I the four years that. that he was at West Point. Wow. No roommate. No one was permitted to befriend him. How lonely he must have been. Alone all by himself at West Point. Even at mealtime, he wasn't permitted to sit to the table with his squad to have his meals. He stuck with it. His class was graduated in 1936. Out of 267 or 76 cadets graduating in 1936, Benjamin Davis Jr. came out number 35 from the top. Wow. He's in the top 13% of the graduating class at West Point. Now, his dream was to become an Army pilot. Mm -hmm. They still would not accept him in the Air Corps because at that time, there weren't, there weren't any recognized black squadrons. So Davis had to go to the infantry. He went to Fort Benning in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And even there, he wasn't permitted to go to the officer's club. He's an officer, a West Point graduate. Right. They didn't want him in the officer's club because of the color of his skin. Wow. Because of the war, the government, they're re- redoing the military. You know, there was the economic crash in the 20s, I guess the market crash of 29. 
and the uh, the economy was in pretty bad shape. So they cut back on the military budget, but now that they're gearing up for World War II, Hitler started his stuff, and now they realize they got to rebuild the army. The armies now have to have airplanes, and airplanes have to have pilots. So the government, in order to get a supply of pilots for the military, they started civilian pilot training programs in colleges all around the country where young men could learn to fly for free at the government expense. The hopes that there would be a group of men that could now be military pilots. Mm -hmm. But there were no black colleges that were included in that program. So the politicians and newspapers started yelling at the government, black men want the same opportunity, black colleges need the same opportunity. Two guys did a 10-city flying tour, trying to prove to the country that we can fly, we want to be military pilots, we want your support to get us into these programs. So one of the tours that they made was down to Washington, D.C., and they met junior Senator Harry Truman. And Senator Truman said, look, you guys flew that food down from D.C. I swear you can't fly for the Army. I'll do whatever I can to help you. So uh, Senator Truman and Everett Dirksen, they, they sponsored legislation wherein six black colleges would have these flying programs. Tuskegee was one. Mm-hmm. Then there was Delaware State, which even today has a program that we support. That's right. Uh, Howard, Hampton, West Virginia State, North Carolina, AT&T. And there was also a flying school in Chicago. A lady named Willa Brown and her husband had a flight school in Chicago. And uh, they had one of these flight programs. So now that Tuskegee has one of these programs, and Mrs. Roosevelt was very instrumental in the success of that program. She went to Tuskegee uh, for a couple reasons. And she said, they told me black men couldn't fly, but I see you're flying here, and I want to fly with one of you. Oh, the FBI went crazy. You want to fly with Oh, my God. <laughs> well, anyway, she insisted on, you know, Eleanor was a very strong will yes, woman. She, she was. She insisted upon flying with this black man. Well, this black pilot that flew her was a guy by the name of Charles Alfred Anderson who lived in Bryn Mawr. Oh, and a I local just, guy. Yeah, local. It just so happens that Anderson had taught himself to fly. Oh, wow. None of the schools in this area would give up take take a black student. So Charles Alfred Anderson, being so determined to fly, he bought an oil used airplane. He, he went from airport to airport, tried to become a, get a student. And, and Drexel even had a flight program then. They, they wouldn't take a, a black student. But Anderson persisted. He gets his old airplane. Now, he talked with pilots, read everything about airplanes and flying and so forth. He even had a job at one airport cleaning airplanes. And they threw out a lot of oil, smoke, and dirt. So he had a lot of job cleaning airplanes. So he knew all about the things that were inside of airplanes and those things outside that moved around on the wings. So Anderson taxied his airplane around. Finally, one day he lined it up with the wind and up he went. And he was still flying at the age of 86. No kidding. He became the chief instructor at Tuskegee after instructing at Howard. He was enticed to go, to go to Tuskegee, and he became the chief instructor at Tuskegee. So he was the guy that flew Mrs. Roosevelt around the field for about 45 minutes. And we think she went back to D.C. and told her, hey, Franklin, you got to do something. You know, these guys want to fly. They, they can't fly, and they want to fly. Tuskegee Institute got a contract to be the place where black men would go for their primary flight training. Okay. And there's an airfield they had called, we call it Moton Field, they named it after the third president. So Moton Field, which is now incidentally a national park monument or something, mm-hmm. place of interest. They started flight training in 41. The first class was graduated in 
42. In that first class, there were five graduates. 13 started and five completed the course. Of the five that completed the course, Ben Davis, this West Point guy, he's one of the first five to finish the flight school at, at Tuskegee. Outstanding. Now, by now, he's a, uh, when you finish West Point, you're a second lieutenant. Well, by now, he's a captain. So mm-hmm. he's the highest-ranking guy, so he's more or less in charge of, of, of the first squadron. Well, by 1942, well, well, I remind kids in high school that uh, I first asked, how did we get into World War II? And you'd be surprised the answers you get. <laughs> but at any rate, we're in war December 8, 1941. And by now, uh, you have a full squadron of the guys trained out of Tuskegee, and they've had combat training and so forth. They're flying P-40s at combat training. And these guys are anxious to get into combat. You know, they were saying mm-hmm. the black men didn't have the courage, the skill. To, so these guys are anxious to get into combat to prove that we do have the courage, we do have the skill, we do have the patriotism. We want to go fight for our country. We'll fight to get rid of the Nazis and, and the fascists. So at any rate, finally get into combat. It took quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was even helped get the guy guys into combat. So the guys get into combat, and they prove to be some of the best pirates over there. Over Anzio, our guys uh, shot down 18 airplanes in a week. 18 airplanes in a week. Wow. So now they sit down to see how good these guys are. They ask them to come over and guard the white boys and the bombers. The, B, the 15th Air Force had uh, B-17s and B-24s. Mm-hmm. There are 10 guys in each bomber. When a bomber goes down, 10 guys could have a bad day, you know. Well, at any rate, they ask uh, the black pots to come over and guard, protect the white boys and the bombers. So for a year's time, our guys flew like 200 missions protecting bombers. Wow. And true, our, true heroes. Our guys, the tails of them, the planes are painted red. They're, they finally get P-50, they had some other things at first, P-39s and 40s. They, for, they finally get P-51s. The tails are painted red. So the group is known as the Red Tail, the 332nd group, under the command of Benjamin Davis, Jr., the West Point guy. Yep. Well, our guys are protecting bombers. We had the lowest number of bomber losses of any of the groups that were protecting bombers in the, in the 15th Air Force. That's amazing. So the guys uh, became uh, heroic guys that wanted uh, their requested by all the squadrons to be their escort. As a matter of fact, Benjamin Davis named his airplane by request because the by bomber request. guys always requested that the red tails by come request. over and be the ones to uh, be the be the ones to escort them. And then one mission went from uh, South Italy, where the 15th Air Force was, all the way up to Berlin. And our guys were the first ones to shoot down German jets. Our guys just had propeller planes. Our guys shot down ME 262s. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Benjamin Davis was ostracized at West Point for four years. Top cadet when he graduated. Now, last year, in 2017, uh-huh. they put up a new barracks at West Point. It was named Davis. Uh-huh. It was named for the guy that they had ostracized while he was a student. He has displayed the characteristics that they wanted to instill in the West Point graduates. So the new barracks that was in that was put up last year was named Davis. That's a very honoring the guy, testament honoring to the guy that they right. tried out that they tried to force to quit years before. Mm-hmm. So, Doctor Richardson, what did you do after the service? 
I used a GI Bill. I, I finished. I went through college. Went to college. I became a. I was a math and science teacher. Not a pilot. Not well. They weren't hiring black pilots after even after the war. They wouldn't hire black. The first black pilot wasn't hired until 1946, and that was after a lawsuit that uh, Attorney General uh, Kennedy. Attorney General Kennedy had a was a friend of the case when he went went through went to court. So even after exhibiting heroism and incredible acumen, they still wouldn't hire. They still didn't want to hire men of color to be commercial airline pilots. So what did you do? I retired as a principal of a middle school. Oh. Now, fortunately, my son took to aviation, uh-huh. and he's now a captain with with American Airlines. Oh. And he actually flew me across the ocean to France. My, li- my, my, my little boy Richardson. grew up and flew me across the ocean to France. Very nice. He's actually the supervisor of American Airlines 777 fleet. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So did your students know that you were a Tuskegee Airman? Well, I told them about aviation and so forth. A young man by the name of Stanley Wells, he's now a captain mm-hmm. with one of the commuter lines. He, he took to what I was saying about, about aviation. Mm-hmm. But you didn't talk about what you had done as a Tuskegee Airman to Not your students. Not a lot. Uh, I, I did some. I even had posters and signs around, you yeah. know, articles around. But uh, not a great deal. Dr. Richardson, you've done an amazing amount for this country after Thank your you. service. Mm-hmm. It's been such an honor to have you with us here today. And I'm so excited for our listeners to hear your stories. Well, thank you ever so much. So, Dr. Richardson, I think that's all the time we have today. Again, it okay. was an honor and a pleasure to see you again Shelley, and to have you really speak to our pleasure. listeners. Thank you ever so much for the opportunity. Thank you, sir. And if you'd like to learn more about the Tuskegee Airmen and their storied history, please visit tuskegeeairmen.org. To learn more about the Philadelphia chapter of the Tuskegee Airmen, please visit T-A-I-Phila, that's T-A-I-P-H-I-L-A.org. I'm Shelley Cameron. Thank you for listening.